Good afternoon, Storehouse. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And it says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last, the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. Hope that y'all are doing well. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It is such a gift to be with you on such an occasion. In the event that you just walked in and didn't catch LC, we're going to find ourselves in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Once more, we're looking at verses 13 to 16 this afternoon. While you open or load your Bibles, I have two quick updates. At least I think they are two. The first one is uh, last week, we released these, uh, these devotionals called Reformed Liturgy. Uh, this is a devotional that walks us through the season of Lent and into what is known as Holy Week. And so uh, our goal when it comes to these resources is to help you grow as disciples in God's Word. And so that's why we write content, that's why we publish content, and we want to give that all to you. In addition to that, if you uh, did not get to pick one up and we're out no worries, visit our website, and on our website, you can download this for free. That is our gift once more to you. Um, when it comes to the season of Lent, and as we walk into Holy Week, one thing that we also released last week was a sermon, a video sermon on the season of Lent. So let me just encourage you once more to visit the website to get all of that done. Additionally, when it comes to our resources, one of the best ways to experience them is in community with one another. We get to wrestle with the text together, but also encourage one another. And for us, when it comes to community groups, that is the primary vehicle of discipleship in our church. And so if you're not connected in one, let me encourage you to get in one. Visit the Connect Desk to learn more about our CGs and where they are, because they don't simply meet in McAllen, but in addition to our surrounding cities. That's that's all I got for you as far as updates. I love to dig in to our time. So I realized the other day, uh, I, I, was, I was just thinking about this journaling, I realized that I'm, I'm probably the least grateful person that I know. I'm just going to be honest, right? I want to be honest with you as a friend, as a brother and pastor. I'm probably the least grateful person that I know. For me, when it comes to Thanksgiving, when it comes to gratitude, again, if I'm frank, it often goes ignored and, and neglected. I'm often thinking about what's next, or I'm too focused on what hasn't taken place yet. 
For instance, going back to these devotionals, these aren't shameless plugs, but they are. So when it comes to, to these last week, when we released these devotionals, uh, I, w- I was thinking about how much time had gone into this, right? We have several writers in our congregation where we uh, put this together. We put a lot of energy into studying the scriptures where we're thinking about you. Uh, and at the same time, we start to wonder, man, how are we gonna uh, work through this devotional creatively? Uh, and so when I got the, the devotional last week fresh off of the, the, the press, the first thing I thought was, man, this is awesome. The thing, second thing I thought was, what do I need to do differently next year? How can I make this better next year, right? Rather than just being in the moment and being grateful for this resource that we get to share together. That wasn't exactly where I'm at, right? And so are any of you like that? I don't need to see a show of hands, right? But like, are any of you like that? When it comes to, when it, gratitude, thanksgiving, it's just something that, I mean, I ignore, I neglect, I don't think about it. And so here's the question. How do you, how do we cultivate gratitude? Let me ask it differently. How does gratitude shape your life? See, when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to understanding, when it comes to experiencing something, especially as an example, hobbies, you choose your thing, whatever your hobby might be. When it comes to something that we find interesting, when it comes uh, to something that we've experienced in a, in a really uh, uh, affecting way, we'll shape our life around it. We'll shape our schedules around those things will willingly get lost in the weeds. But what about when it comes to gratitude? If you search the internet or dictionaries, if that's still your thing, you'll find thousands of definitions and quotes from authors centered on gratitude, and many of them, to be quite honest, they're, they're very good. And one of the things that these definitions and these quotes all share in common is that when it comes to gratitude, gratitude is the product of an experience. It is a product of something understood. And so when we apply that to our text, or when we consider our text this afternoon, we're going to see that gratitude is the product of grace. Gratitude is the product of grace, both understood and experienced. And so let me pray for our time, and then we'll consider God's word together. Join me in prayer. Oh, Lord, we thank you for today as it is a day that you have made. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our church. Therefore, by your grace, would you give us ears to listen, believing minds and willing hearts. If gratitude is the product of grace, then, Lord, we ask that you would give us much grace this afternoon. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to give you a brief review from our time last week, the Apostle Paul walked the Thessalonians through what healthy discipleship looked like. We considered the message, the motivation, and then finally, the method that are all fundamentally rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Here in this passage, we continue to see Paul's heart as both a brother and a pastor to the Thessalonians as he thanks God for his work in them. And we'll consider that more specifically in just a minute. For now, I want us to focus on the introduction of verse 13, right? Here's what Paul writes. Verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly. 
I want to focus on three things with that little phrase. The first thing that I want to focus on is the word we. Paul and his team, that includes Silas and Timothy, they're praising God with gratitude and thanksgiving for his grace to and through other people. And when it comes to that, here's what I find so beautiful and just convicting at the same time. See, Paul isn't alone when it comes to gratitude. He's not doing this alone. He's not secretly keeping it from Silas and Timothy. Instead, what he does is he invites them to collectively praise God with him, giving thanks to God for other people, for his work in other people. He doesn't keep it to himself. He gets this report of how the Thessalonians are doing and then he invites brothers into this to celebrate God's work. In addition to that, I wanna focus on the word constantly. Paul and his team have been in a state of constant gratitude to God for the Thessalonians. Some translations will go on to say that they gave thanks to God without ceasing. In other words, this doesn't imply that they've been doing this every day, all day, 24-7, but rather it's been an intentional part of their life. Gratitude is something that they have shaped their lives around. And for Paul, this is consistent with the way he writes to other churches. I want you to consider Colossians 1. He writes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So this isn't unique to the Thessalonians. Gratitude is something that Paul and his team have been shaped by. Their lives are centered around gratitude for what God has done. The last thing I want us to consider when it comes to verse 13 is really the context. Paul and his team are nowhere near the Thessalonians. Paul has received this report from Timothy, their ministry intern, on how the Thessalonians have been doing. And so Paul, as he's giving thanks to God with his team for his word and work in the Thessalonians, they're nowhere near. It's not like he got a text message or an email or someone posted on Instagram about it. It's not like he saw someone's story on Snap either. Like none of that stuff is happening. And to give you a little bit of context, right, More than likely, Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians from the city called Corinth, okay? The distance from Corinth to Thessalonica, if we're applying it to our day, right, is about seven hours. Now, you and I may not necessarily think that's a distance, right? From McAllen to Lubbock is about seven hours. It's like, yeah, that's not so bad. But here's the thing. They didn't have planes. They didn't have text messages. They didn't have any of the kind of uh, technology that we have today. So the distance in walking, because that's what these dudes are doing, is about 90 hours. And they're praising God for his work in the Thessalonians. Here we see that gratitude is the result of grace understood. For Paul and his team, they are praising God because God rescues and redeems sinners to himself through Jesus. They are giving uh, thanks to God for his grace to the Thessalonians because at one point, 
Paul and his team were kind of like the Thessalonians, physically alive but spiritually dead, and God in Christ has made them alive, and so he recognizes and sees and hears that the Thessalonians have received God's grace, and so he is just lighting up. He is freaking pumped because people have come to know Jesus. He knows what life was like outside of Jesus, and he knows the kind of grace that they are experiencing. Therefore, he gives God thanks. Are we just as grateful for God's grace in one another's lives? There are many Christians, you and me are those Christians, right? We're just gonna be honest. There are many Christians that regularly pray for blessings but often forget to give thanks to God for them. We gather together to, whether it's in the context of the Sunday gathering or groups, we gather together to work through struggles and sin and situations. And to be fair, I wanna praise God for that ability and that availability. Yet when we gather, the question is, do we give thanks to God for his grace in one another's lives? Personally, man, I'm, I am honored to serve as your pastor. I am humbled to have the opportunity to meet with many of you regularly where you share the stress of the season, sin that you continue to wrestle with, and doubt and uncertainty that life bring about, and you're trying to reconcile the truth of God's word to the experience that you're having. Man, I, I want to sit in that mud with you. I love to sit in that mud with you, and I'd also love to hear about what God is doing in your life. I'd love to hear how God has been at work in you through your community groups. I know that our group leaders would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. See, oftentimes when we gather, even in smaller gatherings, we're prepping ourselves because we're hungry to learn more about God. We're ready to pour our hearts out to one another. And let me encourage you, do not neglect to give thanks to God for his grace in one another's lives. See, as Christians, sometimes we quickly forget about grace and quickly think about all of our struggle and sin, and that's real, and we're gonna drop that and put it on the table. I'm not knocking that, but man, we have received the greatest gift of all, and that is the grace of God. Let us not forget to share that with one another. See, when we collectively give thanks for God's grace, it takes the focus off of ourselves and our own kingdom and places them on Jesus. It's not that our concerns or experiences or things that are pressing, it's not that they don't matter. It's just that let us not forget that we are first recipients of God's grace. Therefore, let us give thanks. Give thanks. I know many of you are very practical, so it's like, how do we best practice gratitude? How do we best cultivate gratitude? Here's Paul's answer to the Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. See, gratitude is the product of grace understood and experienced in community. 
Next, I mentioned, and this is where we're gonna look at the rest of verse 13. I mentioned that as Paul and his team are giving thanks to God for his grace to the Thessalonians, here in this section through the rest of the passage, we see why specifically. And the first thing that we see is that they're giving thanks to God for his word to the Thessalonians. Let's consider verse 13, the second half of verse 13. He goes on to say, we also thank God constantly for this. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. There's two things that we see. We see the Thessalonians receiving the word and accepting the word, right? Beginning with the first one, receiving the word. Paul is giving thanks not because he used the right language, not because he spoke eloquently, not because he had a pretty sweet PowerPoint presentation of the gospel, but simply because God's word was received by the Thessalonians. In other words, the Thessalonians were hungry, eager, and ready to hear God speak, and he did through Paul and his team. When we consider the word received, it tells us a few things. The first is about their eagerness to hear the truth. See, the Thessalonians weren't without access to information, writings, and teachings. These individuals had access to the writings and teachings of philosophers like Plato and Socrates. They had their own encyclopedia. It's not like they were without resources just because this is 2,000 years ago. But even the resources that they had, none of them quenched their soul's thirst. And so to receive means that they were thinking deeply about what was being said, that they were trying to make sense of what they were listening to. In addition to that, receiving the word, that is the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, receiving the word meant that God was awakening their heart to him. Paul tells the Romans, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Thessalonians received the word of God because it was God speaking to them through the apostles. Additionally, we see that they not only received God's word for them, but they responded by accepting the word of God. This means that they responded with faith and repentance that not only were the eyes of their hearts uh, enlightened, but we see them go from spiritual death to spiritual life because of accepting God's word. And so God gave them the gift of faith and we see them repent of their sin and they own it, they embrace it. And that's the distinction between what we would call man-centered theology and God-centered theology. See, man-centered teaching or man-centered theology informs people. It might even inspire people. Man-centered teaching or philosophy says that I can go and discover the truth by looking within myself and then expressing that how I see fit. Therefore, whatever I say is true. The problem with this type of thinking and or philosophy is, have you ever been wrong? You can be sincere in your search for truth and be sincerely wrong. However, God-centered teaching theology transforms people. 
It transforms their hearts and their minds, not simply their behavior and their actions. It's something that man could never do. Teaching that is centered on God teaches that truth is revealed to me by God, resulting in internal change. That's what Paul means when he says that the word of God was, quote, at work in you believers. This is also consistent with his his encouragement to the Romans where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. So it wasn't that they just received the word, it's that their hearts were enlightened to God and they accepted the word and transformation begun. Though the words of God were spoken through men, it doesn't make them divine. It just makes them instruments of his grace to the Thessalonians. At the beginning of this letter, Paul tells the Thessalonians, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but here it is, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the Holy Spirit was at work in the life of the Thessalonians to receive and accept God's word. And what was the result? Transformation. When you consider Paul and his team, it's just broken people preaching a perfect savior to other broken people. The message of the gospel is what the Thessalonians heard. The message of the gospel is what they received, that God entered into time and space as the man, Jesus Christ, and he lived a sinless life, dying on a cross for sinners, and then rose three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit, defeating sin and death, leaving both sin and death in the grave. Jesus then not only offers us the grace of salvation through faith for eternal life, but for the present moment. See, outside of Jesus, we are slaves to our sin, slaves to our unrighteousness. We're physically alive, but spiritually dead. Yet through Jesus, God makes a way for us to be redeemed through trust in Christ. Not men, but Christ. Therefore, while the presence of sin still exists for now, its power over us has been canceled through Jesus. It is as Paul says, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light. This is the message that the Thessalonians received. This is the message that all Christians who trust Jesus by faith through grace believe and receive. This is the message that everyone needs to hear. This is the message that we preach to ourselves on the daily and proclaim to others who do not know Jesus. Believer, do you embrace the gospel? Not just do you believe it or do you know it because you went to Sunday school. Is it something that you have embraced? This is the message that we continually come back to. And if you are not a believer, then this message is for you. Faith comes by hearing. Therefore, hear the good news, not just good advice, but the good news of the gospel through Jesus. We give thanks to God for his word. And finally, Paul and his team give thanks to God for his work 
in the Thessalonians. So the first one is that they give thanks to God for his word. Now he gives thanks for, uh, to God for his work in the Thessalonians. And what I love about this is that it's not like the Thessalonians received and accepted the word of God and then were just left on their own to go figure it out. God is at work in them just as much as he is at work in you, Christian. And so here what Paul tells them is he's affirming and encouraging and sympathizing with them by giving them evidence of God's work in their life. And the first evidence is through their example. This is verse 13, uh, excuse me, verse 14. He goes on to say, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. This is one thing that is mentioned regularly in this letter to the Thessalonians, that they're an example and the kind of impact their example has on others. Several times, Paul calls them imitators, meaning that they're modeling both what it looks like to make disciples and be disciples, but also what it looks like to live as disciples. And they do this not only in the good times, but in particular, the hard times. You see, it's not simply enough to say that we've received the gospel and our lives go unchanged. No one who has encountered God's grace personally walks away unchanged. Therefore, as Christians, while we may be recovering hypocrites, let us not be double-minded fools. One other way, or one way or another, we are making disciples, either of ourselves or of Jesus. God is at work most certainly in the good times, and I hope you are encouraged by that, but rest assured that he is not absent in the hard times. His silence and hardship does not equate to absence. The Thessalonians knew this. They knew this about God's word and modeled it, especially in hardship. For them, their confession of the faith didn't just end with affirmation. Yeah, I agree to this. No, it led them to action. And they took action by standing firm, and Paul takes notice of this by writing that they were like an example, excuse me, that they were an example like other churches in Judea, brothers and sisters in Christ that the Thessalonians have never met, don't even know. And Paul is saying, man, you are an example just like them. Paul gives evidence to the Thessalonians for God's work in their life, and the first one, the first piece of evidence is their example. The second piece of evidence is their endurance. Moving forward, he says, for you suffered, that's the hardship, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved Paul tells them, or he's writing to me saying, man, I've seen you not only convinced by the gospel, but you're so convinced that you're willing to suffer at the hands of your own friends, of your own family, of your own community. 
Paul is saying, just like the churches in Judea, churches that they'd never met with, other brothers and sisters in the faith that they don't know, just like the churches in Judea suffered for the gospel at the hands of the Jews, the same people who killed Jesus, the same people who killed the prophets, the same kind of people who beat Paul and his friends and drove them out of Thessalonica and keep, uh, keep them from preaching the gospel to non-believers. Paul is saying, hey, I get it. I get it. When you consider Romans 9, you you get to hear Paul's voice concerning the anguish in his heart when it comes to his fellow kin. That there are those who do not know the Lord Jesus. And he says, if I could give up my salvation, if I could trade it so that they would know the Lord, that's what I want. And so we see Paul's heart just filled with anguish because he's saying, man, I get it when you have been rejected and persecuted and you're suffering at the hands of people that are, you're supposed to be your family. They're supposed to be your friends. They're supposed to be your community. They're supposed to be your ride or die. And yet that is who you are suffering from. Paul says, I get it. The Thessalonians experience hardship and suffering at the hands of their friends, their neighbors, their family, and other community members. There's a real big honor-shame type of culture, and we see some of that even in the Valley and in the Hispanic culture, right? Like those of you have even experienced this where you've had like relational rejection, right? You, You follow Jesus. God has made you alive in Christ, and you say, hey, I'm a Christian, and you get cut off from the family. That's some of what the Thessalonians were encountering. Man, you hang with your friends and then all of a sudden God's grace comes to you and transform your heart. You say, man, hey, I love Jesus. This is what God has done for me. And they piece you out. They write you off. I know who you really are. I know what you've really done. And you experience that at the hands of your own friends, at your own family. And it's devastating. It's devastating when it happens over and over and over again. Yet Paul says that the Thessalonians were able to endure that with joy. It's like, what? How? Through the word of God. Back to chapter one, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's why they were able to endure. See, on one hand, Paul is sympathizing with them while giving thanks to God and giving them evidence of God's work in their life. And at the same time, Paul tells the Thessalonians, hey, that there are those who will oppose us and there is judgment coming to them. Paul is saying, hey, this won't be forever. This won't be forever. One of my favorite preachers, his name is Charles Spurgeon. He's dead. Anyway, uh, Charlie Spurge says this, the spirit of thanksgiving leads to make us stronger and stronger for labor in days to come. Let us hold the fort and look for better times. See, a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus experiences newness of life and hardship and suffering. And just to be clear, the Bible does not shy away from that. It doesn't beat around the bush, whether it's in the context of hard seasons or in the confusion and sometimes what seems like the futility of life. 
The Bible does teach that though we live in a broken world, God has not left us to ourselves. There's a reason we love those kinds of movies. If you've ever watched uh, the Avengers Endgame, there's this last scene, and I'm spoiling it for you. So, well, I have the mic. So, if, <laughs> and so there's this last scene where all of the Avengers are beat up, and, and they're off scene, and it's just Captain America, right? And he's standing before Thanos, the enemy, and, and, and the enemy's army. And it's just him by himself, and he's just hopeless, He's left to himself, and then all of a sudden he hears Sam, one of his other, I don't know what you call him, like one of the, the other dudes, that, one of the other Avengers, there you go. So one of the other Avengers come through, and then all the rest of the Avengers come out, and all of a sudden you see his spirit lifts up because he's so grateful that they came, they showed up, and now we're going to go and fight, and they go and fight. There's a reason we love movies like that. And the thing is that that really does point, remind, it should encourage us that that's exactly what the gospel is. That in a broken world where we thought we were left to ourselves, hopeless, God came into our world. He was born into a broken world and is beautifully restoring and making all things new. Therefore, do not lose heart. Jesus is in the business of restoration. And the church is an example of that, especially in hardship. We give thanks for God's work in both the good times and especially in the hard times. Cultivating our lives around gratitude shouldn't be something we have to do. Rather, it's something we get to do because as Christians, we have not only, not only do we have the best news, we have the greatest gift. We are recipients of the greatest gift and that is God's grace. Unmerited favor to sinners. Therefore, in order to begin to cultivate gratitude, church, hear me out on this, by the work of the Holy Spirit, let us turn and give thanks for God's word. God's word changes us. We see that in the Thessalonians. God's word comforts us, especially in hardship. Are you going through a difficult season? And when I've gone through hard times, or my wife and I, we've gone through hard times, we turn to the Psalms because the Psalms really put into words what we're thinking. God's word brings much comfort in the midst of affliction. God's word convicts us. See, because he makes himself known through his word, and because the spirit resides in us, he begins to convict us of our sin. And it's not just to make us feel bad, it's to make us more like Jesus. It's so that we would turn away from our sin and turn to Jesus to walk in newness of life. God's word reminds us that we cannot do this ourselves, by ourselves. Apart from knowing God, apart from his grace, we were proof of that. Therefore, let us give thanks today May today be the start of shaping our lives around gratitude and may it begin as a result of grace coming through God's word and work in you. So as we wrap up, Christian, give me just a couple more minutes of your time, right? If not gratitude, what is it that you shape around your life? Is it grumbling instead? What you don't have 
what you can do better, why do others get and you don't. And let me just encourage, confess your sin. Confess your sin before the Lord and by the work of the Holy Spirit, begin to shape your life around gratitude for God's grace in your life and the lives of your brothers and sisters. Do not forget about grace. Grace is a catalyst for gratitude. And if you're not a Christian, love that you're here. Thank you for being here. And I love you too much not to tell you the truth. Man, Scripture says that you are physically alive but spiritually dead. My hope and prayer is that you would receive and accept and consider God's word through faith. Through faith in Jesus, through faith and repentance, turning away from your sin, turning to Jesus and receiving a new heart. That's his promise. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my very spirit within you. Church, gratitude is the product of grace understood and experienced. Let's pray.